Amen, right? Well, that's the intro to a new series that we're going to be embarking on. Um, the new series is One Nation Under God. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know if you know, know this, but for some topics, like, um, like the one we just came off from, the life of faith, you know, that's my wheelhouse. I like, I like that's my, my spot, you know. I'm talking about the grace of God and, and who we are in Christ. That's my spot. But there are other issues that maybe I'm not as comfortable um, speaking to that still needs to be said, right? So I'm just trusting that that same grace that is on me on those other topics that God will grace me to verbalize on this topic. Um, but before we get started this morning, um, I want to lay a couple of questions on your guys' hearts. The first one is I want you to ask yourself this question. Um, is it possible for your children and your grandchildren to be subject to a season of trials in the, in the soon coming years in the United States? Is it possible? Is it, is it possible that an, an extreme persecution of, of Christians is something that your kids or grandkids might have to go through? See, I am not one of those doom and gloom pastors, right? I believe that Jesus is coming back for a victorious church. I believe the best is yet to come. And if, and if he doesn't bring to pass kingdom on earth as it is in heaven in our generation, it'll be the next one. If the people of God refuse to stand up now, he will have a people, people that will stand up. Right? We can enter into places of reaping and sowing. Our apathy can, can, can cause, cause us to reap things in our lives, in our nation, and as a people that we never, ever wanted to ha happen. And it's t time for the church to start awakening to what is happening, not only on the federal level, but in our own communities, right? It, some people think that it, it, it's good for the, for, the, for the church to go through persecution. They say, well, look at in the book of Acts, that's when, they, that's when the church grew during persecution. And yes, the church did grow under persecution, but why do we have to be persecuted to get serious about the things of God? Right? Why, why can't the church grow in a time of prosperity? Why can't the church grow in a time of plenty? Why can't the church grow in the good times? Maybe because we're too much like the children of Israel where he says, Remember, it is the Lord your God that gives you the power to get wealth. Least when you inherit homes you did not build, vineyards you did not plant, that you forget that it's the Lord thy God that gave you these things. And I think we as, as believers, as, as Christians, sometimes we can get so caught up in the blessings of being born in the United States that we forget the God that was behind the birthing of this great nation. 
that is not only a light to our nation, but a light unto the, all, all of the world. Of freedom and, and liberty, right? So, so the next question I want you to ask yourself is, is there anything that can be done to stop this slide into intolerance for Christians? Is there anything that can be done? Just pushing buttons back there. In Romans 13, it says that we are to submit to authorities because they are put there by God. What if the authorities were commanding you to kill babies, kill unborn? Should we submit to that? What if, if they were uh, commanding that you not pray or that you subsidize uh, killing of the innocent? I mean, there are examples in the Bible when men and women of God disobeyed the authorities. Is Jesus involved in politics? Are there laws in our nation that grieve the Holy Spirit? Now, with these things in mind, let's open in prayer and we'll get into this. Heavenly Father, we just thank you. We thank you for your great grace and mercy and love. We thank you for your desire for your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. We thank you that you have equipped the church. The church is the only hope in this world today. Heavenly Father, may we be stirred. May it be like fire in our bones. May we get understanding. May we have receive words to what we believe. May we be able to teach others. We receive this by faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. In Proverbs chapter 31, verse 8, it says, Open your mouth for the people who cannot speak, for the rights of all the unfortunate. Open your mouth, judge righteously, and defend the rights of the poor and needy. See, the king, this is writing to, to a king here, and the, and the king is giving instructions to other kings, instru instructing them to speak on the behalf of those that have no voice. And for, for them to treat people fairly and justly. As, as children of the king, we have a duty in the, power of our, in the power of our hands to defend the rights of all, and especially for those that have no voice. In Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 8, if you see the poor oppressed in a, in a district and justice and rights denied, do not be surprised at such things, for one official is eyed by another, a higher one. And, and, and over them, both are others higher still. So we, we don't have to be overwhelmed because, we, because God is the righteous judge. He, he sees the injustice that happens all around us. And because, because in, in, there will be a day that, that he puts everything right. But the thing you've got to look at here is if that God is concerned with the denial of rights, and injustice in the land, should we not be concerned also? Should we not have the same value system and align our value system with his? In Isaiah chapter 10, verse 1 and 2, doomed to those who pronounce wicked decrees and keep writing harmful laws to deprive the needy of their rights 
and to rob the poor among the people of justice, to make widows their loot and steal from orphans. Again, we see that God condemns unrighteousness, unrighteous laws that hurt the most vulnerable. In Lamentations chapter 3, verse 34, to crush under one's feet all the prisoners of the land, to deprive a man of justice in the presence of the Most High, to defraud someone in his lawsuit. Of these things the Lord does not approve. Here again we see in the Scripture saying that Scripture declares that, that, right, that there are rights that have been established by God the Father, and, and, and He stands against those rights when they are deprived. In Job chapter 36, verse 6, He does not keep the wicked alive, but gives the afflicted their rights. Amen. So we've just looked at five scriptures, five scriptures that clearly, clearly show that, that there are basic human rights that God has established in the earth. And he, is not, he not only approves of them, but he stands against those that would deny them or pervert them. In the Old Testament, God gave the children of Israel ten laws that would protect those rights. These laws fall into two groups. I don't know if you ever looked at this or not, but the first four, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall, make, you shall not make for yourself any graven image. You shall not take the name of the Lord in vain. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. These four laws that God gave were about loving God. It's about how do, we, how do we love God, right? And then the next six, honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not lie. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, or his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. This is something that you see envy and covetousness rampant in our society today. And these six represent loving your neighbors. They're to love your neighbor. What, what were the two greatest commandments? Jesus said, to love the Lord thy God, and to love your neighbor as yourself, right? So, Jesus did not come to destroy the law. Jesus did not come to destroy the law. What did he come to do? To fulfill it. To fulfill it on our behalf. Jesus fulfilled the law for us. Our relationship with God is no longer based on our actions, but on faith in the one action of Jesus Christ. But even if we're no longer under the law, God's not saying that, you know, doing the horizontal dance with your neighbor's wife is okay now. It's, it, it, it's, do you understand what I'm saying? In, in, in Christ, in Christ we, we have received the love of God through the Spirit, and now through the Spirit we are empowered by God to love Him and our neighbors. We are given something that we never had before. We never had the ability to love before. We were bankrupt when, in the love department. But when God lo loved us and we received His love, we were birthed into His love, we, love is now part of your born-again spirit. And you've been empowered. Not only, you, you don't, we don't even love God with our own love. 
You love God with the love that he first loved you with. We are so dependent on God. It's, it's, but we're also empowered to love our neighbors through that same grace. So in order to love our neighbors, we need to ensure that our laws, our laws understand the value of human life and of human beings. Right? If we're going to love our neighbors, we, we, we have to understand their intrinsic value in, in God, in the Creator. And history is littered with the destruction of human lives. The, the debasement of humans by their government, by their kings, by their conquerors. And for centuries, mankind believed that it was the only way it would be. That whoever was the conqueror got to assign rights. Men were differentiated, differentiated um, between royalty, noblemen, serfs, and slaves. And communism slash socialism is one of the most horrific examples of this type of worldview. If a nation, a government, a dictator, a king does not understand the value of each human being and the rights that every one of them has, they will not respect their people. And the people will suffer at the hands of their leaders. It won't be loving. The law of loving your neighbor will be violated, violated and pain and suffering will follow. The rights of men are important if we are to love our neighbors. We can't love our neighbors if we're letting them suffer under unjust laws that we have the ability to change. The scriptures show that God is concerned about rights, and if God is concerned about rights, we also should be concerned. So do our rights come from government? Does the Declaration of Independence say that rights come from government? So what is the results if our rights did come from government? Have you ever thought about that? What would be the result if our rights came from government? If rights came from government, then government can do what? They can take them away, right? They can legally, ethically, morally, and justly take them away from you. Because they were never yours in the first place. See, a lot of this you guys already know. But what I'm hoping is, is that it puts verbiage so that you can share these simple truths with, with, your, with your children, with your grandchildren, with your college student, with your neighbors. In fact, all governments all over the world, rights are um, in all governments all over the world where, where rights are granted and taken away at the will of those in power produce hardship and calamity for the people. And you can see how danger, dangerous it is when rights come from government. It's very dangerous, dangerous to, to all our rights if we allow government to establish any of our rights. So does our rights come from 
the individual? What if I say, I have rights. I grant, my, grant rights to myself. I mean, isn't, isn't that enough just to say I have rights? Can we just go around claiming that I have rights? Well, that's, it's actually quite ignorant to do that. Because, because claiming that you have a right to free, freedom is, is, valid, is, is like claiming that you are the emperor. I can say that I'm the emperor or the king all I want, but that doesn't make it so. I can't grant myself rights. And we must have some basis for our rights. Only an authority can demand how other humans treat you. Only someone in authority can demand how other people treat you. What rights that you have. Who gives you authority over other humans? But I have rights. Who gives you those rights? Why do you have them? Where did they come from? See how foolish it is to think that rights are established by the individual? Can the masses give me rights? Can the masses give me rights? This is known as democracy or, ma or ma mobocracy. Can the masses give us right? Can democracy give us right? Sure, it can. But wait. That means that if the masses decide not to give me those rights, like they decided not to give slaves rights, then those enslaved can't complain that their rights are being violated because they never had those rights in the first place. You understand that? If our rights come from the masses, then the slaves never had those rights. So how can they claim that they were being taken from them? The, fact, the facts are that prior to the 1800s, most, except, except for the few that were slaves, had no problem with slaves not having rights. That was the way of the world up until the 1800s. The truth is, the American slaves always had rights. They always had rights. But these rights were constantly being violated until the majority of the, the, of the states finally realized and recognized those pre-existing rights that the slaves already, already and always had. Then justice was restored. Cost 600,000 lives, but justice was restored. So it's, so it's obvious that rights cannot come from the majority. Or it can't come from democracy. It can't come from the masses. Does a social contract establish our rights? Some will say, we get our rights from a social contract. But do you think that... The American slaves contractually agreed to be slaves? Absolutely not. They had no contract. It was oppression and violence that kept them where they were, enslaved. If rights were assigned by any of these, the government, if, if rights were assigned by any of these, the government, the majority, or a contract, that would, mean, that would, again, mean that the American slaves really had no rights before the majority of the states 
gave them those rights. And they only got those rights due to the generosity of some nice white men. Well, you know, that's absolutely insane, right? So if they, like all humans, always had rights, where did they get those rights to begin with? Rights can only come from someone who has authority to grant us rights. And a being that had authority over all mankind, a being that created all mankind, no other being would have the authority to grant mankind rights except the one that created mankind. Who could that authority be? Well, obviously, there's only one being with authority over all mankind. It's creator. It's creator. And does the, does the US, U.S. Declaration of Independence say that rights come from government? No. So where does rights, the Declaration say rights come from? They come from the creator. They come from God. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their government? No. Themselves? No. Their parents? No. Their ascendants of evolution? No. The majority? No. It says endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. And among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The founding fathers wrote down in the Declaration, dec declaration what Scripture has always proclaimed, that rights come from the Creator, rights come from God. Because only the Creator of all mankind has the authority to give rights to anyone. And that's why they are secure. That's why they are secure. So understand this. Creator equals rights. If you take away creator, you take away the logical and rational basis for rights. If there is no creator, you have no rights. Let me say this again. No creator equals no unalienable rights. This is how important this is. This isn't just about your religion. This is about the freedom of all humanity. Do you know what's happening here? Did you notice what just happened? We just married politics and religion. We just married political principles and religious principles. You can't separate the two without ending up with oppression and tyranny. In other words, it's unloving to remove the creator. You are not loving your neighbor if we remove the creator. It's the creator that is the assurance that oppression does not thrive. So what is the job of government? It seems like they got a lot of jobs. And most of it's making me miserable. No, but, but what is the job of government? 
If governments don't give us our rights, what then is the purpose of governments? Well, first, what does the declaration, declaration say? It says to secure these rights, these God-given rights, these rights that were given to us by our Creator, governments are in, instilled among men. So in other words, the job of government is to protect our God-given rights. But what does the Bible say? Romans chapter 13, verse 3. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is this, for it is a servant of God to you for good. It's saying that government is actually a servant to the people. It's a servant to the people from God. For what? For good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. For it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is the servant of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. So the government is there to punish evil people. That is what the government is originally supposed to be for. But sadly, most governments are being composed of sinful humans. And they don't do this. They don't protect you from evil people. And notice that the governments are not, not there to give us our rights, but to protect our rights that we already have. And who are they protected from? Bad people. Bad countries. And just as important as... Important, the Founding Fathers believe that when a government fails to protect our rights, we have the right to change that government, preferably peaceably, through voting. Right? So the Bible and the Declaration say that the purpose of the government is to protect us from evil people, including other evil governments. These are moral judgments. These are moral judgments. They say you can't legislate righteousness or morality. Yes, you can. Every single law is saying something's right and something's wrong. That's what it's all about. You can't divorce morality from government. So why, why are these moral, moral, um, moral judgments? Because they define the difference between good, this is good, this is bad, this is good, this is evil, right? And we're, so we're talking now about theology. And we're talking about morality. You cannot separate God and government. See, the pulpit is supposed to be taken into government, but the government is not to be brought into the pulpit. There is no separation. There is no separation of the church going into the state. Now, since you can't separate politics from lawmaking, and you can't separate lawmaking from morality, it ends up being that you can't separate morality from, the, from your religious beliefs, even if those religious beliefs is that you don't, have a God, you don't even believe in God. You can't separate your religious beliefs, your morality, your worldview, and where you get your rights 
from, the, from your beliefs. This means that you can't separate politics or lawmaking from religious beliefs. Thus, religious beliefs of every lawmaker should be of deep critical concern to you. What a lawmaker, what a politician believes about God or does not believe about God should be of deep concern to you because you can't divorce morality and lawmaking. We don't want the church to run government, but it has to be the moral con conscious of government. You understand that? The church, religion, Christianity needs to be the moral compass of government. And the con it needs to be the conscience of every man and woman that runs in government. Because the government is dealing with moral issues. So what are rights? Everything, that, what are rights? We got them. I don't know what they are. What are rights? Let, let's hear some rights. To bear arms. Life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. Freedom of speech, is that a right? Right? Freedom to own property, is that a right? Yeah. To assemble. Yep, yep. Freedom of religion, right? See, the Constitution, and aptly named the Bill of Rights, names some of these rights. Here, here's a brief, brief list to remind you. Life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, justice, freedom, from unreasonable search and seizures. Caesar, she's, yeah, you know, they can't take it. Freedom of religion, freedom of speech, freedom of the press. The people's right to bear arms, the, the, the freedom of assembly, equally, uh, equality under the law, and it goes on and on. Those are, those, are, those are rights that we have. But those are just examples of rights. How do you define or determine what a right is? What, what a right is? This. Is this, is this a right? Is it? Is this a right? No. It's not a right. It's a firearm. It's a firearm. A firearm is not a right. It's something else. But how about the right to bear arms or have a, own a gun? Gun ownership. Is that a right? That's a right. Right? The right to have a gun. And own a gun is a right. But the gun itself is not a right. It's something else. And we're going to figure out what this something else is. Is that a right? Is, is a, a printing press and news agencies and media and your, your Facebook and all these things, are, are those rights? No, it, it, they're not rights. There's something, something else other than a right. But how about freedom of speech? Is freedom of speech a right? Yes, it's a right. Home ownership, health care, 
food, clothing, a good paying job, education. Are these rights? Actually, only one in that list is a right. Only home ownership is a right. The right to own your own property. The rest are something else. So we have to understand what is a right and what is something else. But is a home a right? A home is not a right. It's something else. The right to own a home. Home ownership is a right, but not the home itself is not a right. It's something else. So if a gun, a, a newspaper, a home, health care, a good paying job, food, clothing, education are not rights, and there's something else, what are they? What are they? They're a good or a service. They're a good or a service. Many people confuse rights with goods and services. And it's critical to distinguish the two of them. Here's an easy way to look at it. Rights come from God. They are things that God gives you. But if a right depends on someone else's service, someone else's work, or someone else's money, it's not a right. It's a good. You understand that? And it's certainly not a God-given constitutional right. Goods are the product of someone else's labor. Understand that. Franklin Delano Roosevelt, FDR, had this idea, and he was going. He he talked about um, he talked about creating a second Bill of Rights, and in this bill, he wanted to include things like the right to a good education, the right to health care. Does any of this sound familiar? The right to your own house, the right to a good paying job, the right to adequate food, clothing, and even vacation time. Those are rights. You want, <laughs> and hopefully you realize that though, while those are all very nice things, right? Although they're really nice things, they're not rights. They're not rights. They all violate the very concept of God-given, unalienable rights. Why? Because you have to, you, you, while you may have the right to not be prevented from having an education, you are not entitled to an education. The only way that you can be entitled to an education is for the government to enslave teachers to teach you. Well, yeah, that's crazy. They're not going to enslave teachers to teach you. You're right. They're not going to enslave teachers. They enslave other people to pay the teachers to teach you. Do you understand this? As soon as something is a product of someone else's work, it becomes a good and not a right. You always have a God-given right to own your own goods, but you have no right to someone else's goods. That's called what? Stealing. Stealing. 
If goods are what a politician is promising to someone, however noble it sounds, how, how, however noble those goods are, like health care or your own home, eventually you'll have to enslave some men to guarantee those goods. You have to enslave some men to ensure the delivery of those goods to other men. Do you understand that? See, our our founding fathers were not idiots. I, I actually believe that they were divinely guided by the wisdom of God. They understood why rights were not goods and why they could not write a constitution that guaranteed goods to anyone unless they were the fruit of your own hard, honest work. The right to bear arms is not entitlement to a firearm. Right? People would blow a head gasket if, if the government just started handing out guns to everybody because it was your right. But they turn right around and expect the government to hand out other things that aren't rights. The right to free speech is not an entitlement to everyone gets a printing press, everyone gets a TV show, everybody gets their own social media platform. The right to the pursuit of happiness is not a right to guarantee happiness. It's very, this is very simple when you just break it down and think these things, these things through. Do you, do you see the great difference between rights and goods? Because it's critical. Anytime you vote on something, ask yourself, is this law acknowledging a, a true right or is it mandating goods that are the result of someone else's hard work? See, the nations with constitutions that have built of rights that have education in their, in their Bill of Rights, jobs, health care, homes, and other such goods, they either go bankrupt or be, they become oligarchies. What's an oligarchy? It, it means a, a, a country or a nation that is run by just a small, select few. Because goods that are granted as rights require lots and lots and lots of goods to be available. So either you go bankrupt with not enough goods, or you enslave the population with totalitarian regime to ensure the ample supply of goods. Study communism, study Russia, study the takeover of, of, of Russian farms, enforcing them to give their goods. It led in death in the, in, in the countless masses of people. And then what's interesting is that we're seeing both of these today. We're, we are seeing the confusion of a true right in, in goods and services. We see politicians and governments promising things that aren't rights that are actually enslaving other, other people. So remember this. Goods that are granted as rights requ require you to enslave men financially 
or physically or ensure a con- to, to ensure a continuous supply of the goods that you have promised to others. So any government or any politician that proclaim that goods are rights are actually promoting slavery. They are pro-slavery. Because you cannot, if you have to enslave someone else, you have to take from someone else, someone else has to work for, in order for you to give goods and services to someone else. That's, that's the definition of slavery. And we are called to love our neighbors. And enslaving them is not loving them. Amen? Amen. This stuff is so simple. We, and, and, and it makes such common sense. It's so much of, of, of God's wisdom does. It doesn't have to be complicated. And I'm hoping that you're seeing the, the lie that you're being sold. And how whenever someone's offering you something, it's not free. It has to be taken from someone else. It has to be paid for from someone else. It has, you have to enslave someone else to provide that good and service for free to you. And that's not loving our neighbors. That's actually loving ourselves. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you once again. Your your ability to speak eternal truths in practical ways that we can have clear understanding so that we can bring liberty and freedom and justice to the entire world through the God-given rights that you have given us. Heavenly Father, help us to, to be salt and light when it comes to these issues. When we, we talk to our, our children, our grandchildren, our college students, with our families, with our friends, with our coworkers, that they would understand that goods are not rights. And the only way that a government can provide goods is by taking it from someone else, enslaving someone else. And we are not for slavery. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are rising up the church to speak with boldness and giving us the words and the wisdom to proclaim your truth with not, with not needing to sound religious. We just love you, we praise you, and worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a message from Karis New Testament Church. For more information or to contact us, go to www.karisntc.org. And remember, you are deeply loved, highly favored, and destined to reign in Christ Jesus.